All I have for you is a word. Tenant. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. Can you dig it? Yes, you can. This is Nate Hamman for Tonic Pop, and today I'm reviewing Tenet. Uh, speedy review, I think. It's not one of our hour-long discussions because it's just me and you don't want to hear me monologue for an hour. So let me give you a few minutes uh, on my thoughts, uh, of my thoughts on Tenet by Christopher Nolan. And I can say by because he not only directed it, but he wrote it as well. And it is very much a Nolan film. It's got the Nolan feel. And uh, you know, even if if you walked into, the, if you'd watched Nolan films before and you understood Nolan movies, you're aware of Nolan movies and you walked into the theater without knowing it was a Nolan film, you would walk out of it knowing it was a Nolan film, if that makes sense. Right, because it's very much his signature all over it. Uh, he's an artist. Nolan is definitely an artist and that can... Um, you know, it can be infuriating for some when certain aspects tend to not fit into the idea or the parameters of what have been given for the general movie. He uh, colors outside the lines and that can be, as I said, infuriating, infuriating for some. And there were moments where it infuriated me because I thought, you know, that was a moment which should have been colored in the lines. But... Overall, I was very satisfied, and, um, and in fact, I went and saw it twice. But let me start with a... I've already started, but let me go on with a quick summary of the summary. Secret agent, uh, time-bending mission, needs to stop World War III. Okay, besides the time-bending thing, it's very much a cliche plot, right? It's, you know, trying to stop the end of the world. A spy trying to stop the end of the world. It could have fit into a Mission Impossible um, storyline. So it's not the story that is um, fantastic. It's not the story that is the most wonderful thing about this film. But there are some incredible aspects, which I'll dig into in a sec. It is audacious. It is grandiose. It is it is brash. It's um, bold. It's confounding. There are so many superlatives I could spill out. There is no time for, um, you know, for letting the popcorn uh, melt on your tongue um, and let the, let the, the butter... Um, sit on your tongue and, and let those flavors absorb because you are instead overwhelmed um, by the flavorsome, the array of flavors that is presented to you from the screen. And it doesn't just sit there, it emanates and it hits you. And Tenet hits you for better or for worse. It's getting mixed reviews and I understand why. I absolutely loved it, but I understand why some people absolutely loathed it. And some people are sort of sitting there in the middle. Remember when the kids in Willy Wonka, if you've read it or seen it, uh, even if you haven't read it or seen it, I'm sure you're aware of the story, the Roald Dahl story. And the kids go into the factory for the first time and they're introduced to Willy Wonka's factory when the doors are open and this bright, vibrant, colorful world of chocolate rivers and waterfalls and... Uh, edible bushes and edible grass and lollies growing from trees and all these sorts of things and oompa loompas you know it's it's overwhelming and, and there's a sensory overload that the kids uh, experience well it's like that when you're watching this film and when you're watching many of, of Nolan's films it's like that with Tenet right 
uh, it's a bit of a sensory overload from the sound to the cinematography to the action sequences. Nolan, he likes mystery. He likes us to try to figure things out. And so he doesn't mind you being overwhelmed with with a whole bunch of different um, visceral things. He he doesn't mind because he wants you to he wants to make it harder for you to really understand what's going on. He wants you to have to focus intently and he wants he wants you to come back and see it again because you're like what the what I need to watch that again to really try and understand it. So for me the first time I went and saw it um, it was my my brother-in-law manages a theater and we got to to get in on a preview screening and it was fairly late at night it was late for me because I wake up about 4 four thirty in the morning uh, this was about 9 9:30 at night so I was pretty zapped and my my brain was mush so it wasn't the best time for me ex- to experience tenet for the first time and I think I even fell asleep in a couple of moments but I still I still walked away feeling uplifted by some of those aspects that I've talked about the sound and the cinematography and the action sequences but I was a little bit um, I found the story to be lacking I found the character development to be lacking and I also was a little bit I felt like I was walking out with you know a dunce cap at least you know slightly askew on my head so I knew I needed to see it for a second time and that I did I went and saw it with my wife on our anniversary she was seeing it for the first time and I was a lot more alert then and so was she but we both sat on the edge of our seats and absolutely loved it so the second viewing was so much better for me I got so much more out of it uh, as I said Nolan doesn't dumb things down and so you have to really you have to really look and look you must because there are things that are shoved into the cracks there are a lot of sort of um uh, insert uh, shots and, and scenes there's stuff that is shoved into the cracks that you have to really go searching for and make sure that you're you're being uh, acutely aware of everything that is going on on the screen which is hard to do when there are so many things going on on the screen which is why it takes multiple viewings it's a multiplex movie it really is I I was amazed I was taken aback by you know with wonderment at at, at and left wondering how the hell did he do that and I'm talking mostly about some of the action sequences the car chases where some of the cars are going in in reverse uh, or they say it's called inverse the inverse world and some are going in in reverse and some are going forwards but it's a car chase Uh, the fight scenes where one of the fighters is fighting backwards and the other one is fighting normally forwards it's it's incredible uh, a building getting blown up and simultaneously uh, being built up so these are the sort of things that are just that you you watch it and even if you're not really digging the film uh, holistically you got to look at these certain aspects and go this dude is a genius if all I'm getting out of it is this this visual spectacle man that is that is enough that is worth the the price of the ticket the acting was excellent Kenneth Branagh uh, you know, he, he's a legend in the acting world and he plays a really good bad guy. You absolutely loathe him. Uh, who else was there? Uh, John David Washington. He plays the protagonist and that is all we know about him in regards to his name. That's his moniker, the protagonist. You don't actually get to find out his name, which is quite an interesting thing. Probably a bit of, that's something that'll come up in trivia one night if you ever go to trivia uh knights what is the uh the name of the protagonist what is you know what is the name given to the protagonist on tenet 
the protagonist. That's it. Simple. Robert Pattinson is in there. Elizabeth Debicki. Um, Michael Caine, of course, makes an appearance as he must for Christopher Nolan movies. I believe he is, he is his good luck charm. I think, though, the character development was lacking. Uh, and I, I am guessing, you know, everything Christopher Nolan does, he does with purpose. So whether or not I like it, it was done purposefully. It wasn't a failing on his part. But I... Uh, I like good character development. Didn't really get to see that. There are no real backstories, but a bit of backstory for um, for Kenneth Branagh. So you get to know why he uh, is what he is, how he came to be. But it was it was just a short sort of snippet. If there was an, a character to invest in, it would be um, Elizabeth Becky's character. Uh, you know, as as a mum who is really only living for her child. You know, you can feel an emotional connection to her. Not so much for the other characters despite the fact that they were they acted incredibly um john david washington is a really great actor if you've seen him in black like a clansman then you'll know what i mean uh he's he's every bit as good as his dad denzel robert pattinson has come a long way since edward unlike most mysteries christopher nolan doesn't you know you don't necessarily get the reveals wrapped up in a nice tidy bow and you may walk out of the theater with with questions still rattling around in that head, which is another reason to go and watch it at least a second time. Cool. So, uh, what have I missed? The sound. I got to talk about the sound. So, uh, Ludwig Göransson took the reins on this one. Normally, for Christopher Nolan, he employs Hans Zimmer, the legend that he is. But he was already working on another project, so I got Ludwig Göransson, who is a great. I'd say up and comer. He's been floating around for a few years, but he's really, really started to peak. And um, and and I'm gonna, I, I declare he's gonna sit at that peak for a long, long, long time because he knows his stuff. He knows what he's searching for. He knows how to develop sound. And and he won an award. You may know him from. Um, it wasn't for Creed. What was it for? It was for the Black Panther. So he won best original score for the Black Panther. Uh, but he did work on Creed as well and Creed Two. Um, he's done some work for The Mandalorian, which I think he also won an award for. Uh, don't quote me. I can look that up. You can go and look it up if you want. But The Mandalorian for an episode, he won an award for that. So he's a great, great uh, musician and uh, artist and composer. So what he gave to this film was huge. The film relied on sound to tell the story. It was very, very visceral it was sound that escaped the screen and enveloped you like an anaconda uh, you know giving you just enough leaving you just enough to breathe but that was probably one of the things that frustrated many people was that the sound was so dominant that it felt like a character in and of itself like a dominant character on the screen and a lot of people didn't like that I liked it. Uh, there were times when I thought, okay, you know, th- you could step back a little bit when I really wanted to listen to crucial dialogue. And sometimes that dialogue got, you know, because the dialogue was sort of sitting under the sound. And so those moments I, I would get a little bit frustrated at. But as I said on this, um, that was especially the first viewing, but on the second viewing, you know, I knew that was happening. And so I, I forced myself to concentrate harder. And so I sat on the edge of my seat and I really leaned in and I really focused on what the characters were saying. 
and it allowed me to not only hear what they were saying, but feel like I was in that moment. So when the ship is breaking you know, through the water and the wake is, is louder than the dialogue, I felt like I was there next to them on the ship. So, you know, for better or worse, the sound was a character in and of itself. Some people liked it, some people didn't. I kind of was, eh, about it. But the first time, but on the second viewing, I really understood why it was like that and I got to enjoy it and it made me concentrate harder. Okay, so in summary, whew, how do I summarize this? I think for too long, we have been spoon-fed. Um, we've been spoon-fed by studios making airplane noises, saying, open wide, here comes the reboot, or open wide, here comes the sequel, or the prequel, or the offshoot, or the alternate retelling, or the live-action version, whatever it is. It's just high repeat of the same stuff over and over, and or very formulaic, uh, nothing original. And so something like this comes along. Christopher Nolan brings his original script to the screen. You know, we we damned well better appreciate it because we don't get that so often anymore. You know, I, I felt like, as I said, I felt like when I walked out of the movie for the first time, there was a dunce cap askew on my head. You know, it wasn't firmly planted, but, you know, I was thinking a lot about it, but I did feel a little bit dumb. And maybe that's because I have been watching so many dumbed down films and there's nothing wrong with that we want our popcorn flicks as well we want our um, our movies where we don't have to think too hard we couldn't do Christopher Nolan you know every day but we also need these films these original concepts and high concepts at that so for that I thank you Nolan thank you for um, for bringing this to the screen it's unfortunate that it came in a time of COVID where it's not going to really get its dues. Um, but hopefully we can all go out and support it because it is it is a great film, all right? Go in there open-minded. Go in there like you're, you're walking into, I don't know, school, into an exam, you know, and you need to focus and you need to concentrate. It's not a sit-back uh, Michael Bay popcorn flick uh, with blurry action. You really, really have to focus. Cool? All right, so I'm going to give this film... 11.5 out of 14 stars. How's that? Yep, that sounds good. All right, this is Nate Hammond. Uh, you're listening to Tonic Pop. I'm going to do some regular reviews, I think, like this. Just quick monologues. My next one will probably be Bill and Ted's Face of Music. Went and saw that recently and absolutely loved it. It took me back to the um, you know 30 years ago or whenever it was that Bill and Ted first came out. It was a really worthy addition to the Bill and Ted canon. And I actually look forward to more. All right, that's me. Thanks for listening.